Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast that you're listening to right now, thank you so much, called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It is a daily podcast, 365 days a year, and each day we talk to an author about all of the things related to their career, their book, their life, and more in 30 minutes or less, because who has time? I am now an author myself, although I wasn't when I started this podcast, and you can get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st, and my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com, but really, you're here to learn more about the authors, and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com. Com and definitely check out those shows as well. Eliza Reed is the first lady of Iceland. She is the author of Secrets of the Sprakar, Iceland's Extraordinary Women and How They Are Changing the World. Eliza is a journalist, an editor, and co-founder of the annual Iceland Writers Retreat, which, by the way, was the first sponsor, one of the first sponsors this podcast ever had. After growing up on a hobby farm near Ottawa, Canada, she went on to earn degrees in international relations and history from the University of Toronto and Oxford University, respectively. As First Lady, Eliza has been active in promoting gender equality, entrepreneurship and innovation, tourism and sustainability, and the country's writers and rich literary history. Secrets of the Sprecher is her first book. Welcome, Eliza. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. I'm so excited to talk to you. Your book is called Secrets of the Sprecher. Did I pronounce that right? Sprecher. Yeah. 
Yeah. One, one small island nation, the women who live there and how they are changing the world. You are also the first lady of Iceland, which is a super cool title to have. Not everybody can get that. <laughs> but your book is is just truly amazing because you're writing about the topics that like all women are thinking and talking and writing about right now here in the US. And it's like, oh, look, she solved like the problem's been solved. So it's great. <laughs> Well, maybe that's a little optimistic, but we're working on it. We're doing our best here. Well, you're, you're, you're light years ahead, at least, I have to say that. <laughs> By the way, you mentioned Dorit in the book. She's she's like an old, old, old family friend of ours, um, of my dad. Uh, she's known Dorit forever. I like have known her since I was, I don't know, like 12 or something. Anyway, so that's funny. Oh, wow. Yeah, she's been great to me. I uh, For anybody listening, I suppose, then you can know that she was the first lady of Iceland before I was the first lady of Iceland. And also foreign born, like I am, I grew up in Canada. So she's been really of a tremendous help to me in terms of giving me good, good advice and everything. Well, I feel like that's one of the themes of your book in general is that women are helping women through so much stuff professionally all the time in Iceland. And one other thing before I like dive into all the exciting things in the book, the Iceland Writers Retreat was like my very first podcast sponsor, like years ago. Yes, that's right. That's right. Oh my gosh. I couldn't believe it. I was like, you're the Iceland Writers Retreat person? I couldn't believe it. <laughs> yes. So we have we have a lot of connections, I think. Wow. Is that still is that going on even it's with It's still going. We yeah, we just finished our first in-person event on May the first. So it's uh, we recently finished it. It was great to go back in person for the first time in three years. And we had a terrific time and we're already getting started to have it next year in April in Iceland. I want to come. Can I come? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> I want to like, be, be a part of it. I'm. I literally finished this book, and I was like, I told my husband, I was like, we're moving to Iceland. Like, I want to move to Iceland, and he was like, why don't we visit it first? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the weather could be okay, but we love books and we love reading here. And that's something new we added for the writers retreat this year is something called the Iceland Readers Retreat. So anybody who maybe doesn't want to write that much but loves to read books can also come and learn a lot. Wait, maybe you should. Maybe we should back up. Could you explain what the Iceland Writers and now Readers Retreat is for? <laughs> other people who might want to come because this is a perfect audience for them. Absolutely. Yeah. The Iceland Writers Retreat is an event that I co-founded with a friend of mine in 2014. We hold it in Reykjavik, Iceland, which is a UNESCO city of literature. And basically it's for anybody who, who likes to write and now also likes to read. And it's a mixture of small group writing workshops with really well-known authors who we bring over from different countries and, and teach about all kinds of dimensions of writing in small groups. And then we also have literary-themed tours in Iceland. So we take people to see all the natural wonders that the country's known for, but our guide is a writer, and we stop and have readings on the way. And we have a pub night with local music and authors. So it's really kind of a mix of writing and socialization. I'm I'm very excited. This will... Okay, 2023. I'm in. 2023. All right. Exciting. Okay. Your book talks about your own journey, which I loved hearing about. Maybe you should start with that because your own experience is like so interwoven into the fabric of why the Iceland policies for women, including, you know, paid parental leave, four months of, I was just hearing that Morgan Stanley here in the U.S. is giving Mm -hmm. dads four months of leave now too, which Mm -hmm. I found like mind blowing. But your story is that you're from Canada you met your husband at this random, you were both rowers. You did yeah. a raffle and kind of nudged your way into his consciousness. Yes. I sort of contrived a date with him, but you know, carpe <laughs> then, diem, as they say. 
and then eventually became moved to Iceland. Why don't you tell it? Get yeah. The, the yeah. Okay. Yeah. No problem. Because there is, I mean, the book isn't a memoir per se, but there's definitely a strong memoir angle to it all, with my own story sort of sewn in there in with the stories of other women. And you're right. I grew up on a on a like a small town in a hobby farm, as we say in Canada, rural Canada. And I went to graduate school at Oxford University in England, and that is where I met my Icelandic husband after contriving a date with him, which I talk <laughs> about in the book. And we met, we, we fell in love and we moved to Iceland in 2003. And he is a, an academic, a history professor by background. And so we just built a life for ourselves there. You know, we had four kids in just under six years and we lived in this tiny little house. I worked as a freelance journalist and writer and founded the Iceland Writers Retreat. He was a professor of history and we just thought that was kind of our life. And then in 2016, all so through all kinds of external events, not least the Panama Papers scandal, my husband was sort of encouraged to run for president of the country. And he'd never been in politics before. He'd never run for office. It does help in Iceland that the role of president isn't a political one. You're not sort of a member of a political party. So that helps a bit. But he ran and he won in the span of about two months. So we really went from this sort of tiny, everyday, rather hectic life to being the the head of state couple in a few months. And it was quite a shift. And what I try to explore a lot in the book are both these ideas of kind of making the most of unexpected opportunity, because all of a sudden I was nationally known in Iceland. And also this idea when it comes to gender equality of what it means for one's identity, because I did have this national platform, but it was because it was something my husband achieved. So all of a sudden I became less known as Eliza and more known as, as Goodney's wife. And that was kind of a strange shift as well that I try to explore in the book. There is a new show out here. I think it's on Amazon Prime video. I'm not sure, but it was produced actually by a guy I went to college with. His name's Aaron Cooley. It's called First Wives. It's amazing and you'll love it. It's about three first wives of American presidents and Michelle Pfeiffer, the actress, plays Gerald Ford, Betty Ford. And then someone played, have you seen it or do you know what I'm talking I haven't, about? but I've heard of it. I have, you have to, heard of it. Yes. Okay. I'll have to watch it while I'm here in the States. Well, she, yes, you should watch it. It reminds me so much of what you're saying because Gerald Ford didn't intend to become president all of a sudden, right? But Nixon's mm-hmm. you know, yeah. extraction demanded it. And she was literally like, there's a scene where she's at home just being like, she like kind of slowly closes her eyes and is like, oh my gosh, you know, like now I'm going to have to do this. <laughs> and she is also saying like, wait a minute, this is not, and even Eleanor Roosevelt, who has a role in that thing too, is just yeah. like, wait, what is my job in the administration? And they're like, you're the first lady. And she's like, that is not a job. That is, no. my, I am, that is me as a wife. Like, what is my job? So yeah, it just sort of speaks to your experience as well. Yes, exactly. Plus a change, as they say yes, sometimes. Yes. There's a lot of different, <laughs> same, same, but different. So I can, I can definitely relate in some senses, obviously on a much, much smaller scale than Iceland is. Wow. So Iceland, uh, there's a famous sort of moment where um, some, the, what is her name, in parliament, who nursed, who is famously nursing in parliament. And this is like such a symbol of how Iceland embraces women, albeit that was a shock at the time, but Mm -hmm. she was, she felt it was so natural because, well, my my baby has to nurse and all that. Tell me how Iceland has just gotten it right in terms of what they do. You spell it out really clearly in the book and in many, give many examples and situations from Mm -hmm. athletics and academics and everything from Mm -hmm. the way they treat women to 
systemic ways that they respect women so well. But mm-hmm. what does it look like when, because every time we talk about busy women in the U.S., everyone's like, well, if if there was just this leave, if there was just parental mm-hmm. leave, if there was just universal daycare, if there was just this, we would all be fine. So mm-hmm. what is it like? Well, I mean, certainly these policies are helpful. And I spend a lot of time talking about them in the book, these, these sort of government led policies, which include basically the, you know, prenatal care, which is part of the healthcare scheme, which is all covered and generous parental leave schemes so that both parents, it's called use it or lose it. It means that both parents are entitled to parental leave that is paid for by the state. And if one parent doesn't want to use it, the other parent can't use it. So the idea is to encourage both parents to be involved. That was nine months total when I had my children. It's now moved up to a year. So various governments and parties are always just trying to work to how they can reinforce it. And then after the parental leave is finished, then a really subsidized system of childcare takes over. And that is already subsidized, but it's, it's, increasingly subsidized if you're a single parent, if you're a student, and even if you have uh, children close together, as my husband and I did, you get these sibling discounts, they're called. So that basically really creates an infrastructure for families that enables them to to hopefully choose the, the, the size of their family more based on what they want rather than on what they can afford. But also what I'm trying to do with the book really is is hopefully inspire people on an individual level. It's like what you mentioned, the sort of endemic awareness of gender equality. I I don't want to say that it's perfect. Absolutely. But I think we've really moved a lot as a society overall past the tipping point of debating if this is an important goal for societies to more how we're going to get there. Because we realize that working towards achieving gender equality is not a zero-sum game where one group benefits at the expense of another group. It's something that benefits people of all genders throughout society. And that that's just a good thing, I think. So now we're trying to work on how, how we go about doing that. Wow. You have a scene in the book where your husband wants to stop for a banana or something. Will you tell that yes. story? <laughs> I tease him about this all the time. So my husband also has a daughter from his first marriage. So he is a more experienced parent than I am. And this was when uh, we had our, our first child together, our son, and he was taking his paternity leave. But I was working from home. I was still nursing him. So I'd go out and nurse him and then I'd go back to my office and work. And he was getting ready to go out for the day. He said he was going to go with him. I think to the archives, because he's a historian, and uh, and then to a sort of uh, mommy and me kind of club, and then they were going to go for a walk, and he had a whole day planned, but all he had with him, well, he had nothing with him, but the baby, he just had, he didn't have a diaper bag, he didn't have drinks, he didn't have food, he didn't have anything, and I remember I couldn't resist, you know, I, I think, I know parents have different styles, but <laughs> I have to say something, and I said, don't you want anything, and he said, yeah. I'm going to buy a banana at the store on the way and still nothing, you know, nothing to how to feed the banana to the baby or if there was some diaper mishap or anything. And it was just like two guys out to see the world, you know, and, uh, but there's still kind of is a double standard there because I think as a, as a man, if he went out and there was a, you know, a diaper disaster that I think all mothers know about, uh, people would have thought it was kind of endearing and cute mm-hmm. how he was dealing with it. Whereas I think women might have been judged a little more harshly. Oh my gosh. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. So what does this mean for the individual woman? Like, how does the individual mom sort of you know, interpret all of the government support and policies and, and like wake up to motherhood. Like when do they know do the women of Iceland know that they're very lucky in contrast, what does it mean? Do they end up becoming more successful? Are there fewer tears on the bathroom floor? Like what, what, how does it drill down to the individual mom? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there are still tears on the bathroom floor, obviously. My, <laughs> my sense, um, without ever having lived in the US, but having lived in Iceland for two decades now almost, is that there's probably less judgment as the sort of either or. Like either you have to be a really successful, if you're a parent, you know, either you have to be a really successful career woman or a good mother, but it's very hard to be both. Again, I, I, I don't want to, you know, it's, it's definitely not a paradise in Iceland, but I think that the sense is more that you are not a bad parent if you have a full-time job outside of the home. If anything, there's more stigma for mothers who choose to stay at home. Uh, mm-hmm. There's fewer activities available to them, you know, to do with their children. I think people would say, wait, why why aren't you out working? Why would you not do that? Mm-hmm. And so there, you know, I don't think there, there's certainly no stigma for, for working outside the home and people just think that that is what you should be doing and, and the natural thing to be doing. So, so for mothers, I would say that that's, that's a big dimension, but I think we still face this idea, you know, of trying to have it all and, and when the, the right time is to do things and balancing things, because you know, that the sort of mental load of remembering the kids' birthdays and don't forget your swimming clothes and don't forget this or that, the sort of household CEO work in heterosexual relationships in Iceland, that is still disproportionately the woman who, who takes on those challenges. Even if the household tasks are more evenly divided, it's, you know, it's still the, the woman who tends to be the one who's remembering to go get, you know, to do the shopping list. Even maybe the man buys the shopping. And that's something we need to work on because that we know is a huge amount of unpaid later and a huge amount of work that's that's going into sort of coordinating all, all of that in the home. And, you know, there's an excellent quote in the book from a, a journalist that I interviewed called Thora Arknosdottir, who actually ran for president in 2012 and had a baby, well, had her third child while she was campaigning. And she said, you know, people always said to her, is it really the right time for you? And she said that women so often, we, we have our lives with people telling us, is it the right time for you now? Don't you want to wait? Are you sure about this? 
And she said, we spend our lives thinking, okay, I'll wait. I'll wait till I've had my kids and I'll wait till my job is more successful and I'll wait till this and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And all of a sudden you're really old and you've never done anything you wanted to do because someone else told you it wasn't the right time. And I think that's a you know great thing to, to have in mind for us. Seize the day. <laughs> Seize the day. Exactly. Day. Exactly. So interesting. Does all of this apply to people who like if you just move into Iceland right now, I mean, I, I I can't really move to Iceland at this moment, but I am tempted. Come and visit us. <laughs> yeah. If there are, it, for, for women who come into this culture, like you from another country, is everything, mm-hmm. like, are they able to kind of adapt quickly to this new paradigm? Do you know what I mean? Like, d- does mm-hmm. it, does it sink in or like, is it, is does something external like this really change the fundamental sort of mental stuff mm-hmm. of the women and moms in the culture? Right. It's an interesting thing. I think women of foreign origin, it, it's something that I explore a lot in the book as well. I think it's one of the areas where we need to be doing better in Iceland because we have had a huge influx in immigration recently. And I feel like as a society, we're not maximizing the potential of all of these people who come from abroad. And uh, so we all have different challenges there. You know, immigrants in all countries generally tend to be better educated than the locally born populations. And, you know, where people aren't necessarily getting jobs in relation to their field. I think in Iceland, there's a whole lot of things that tie together, not just the paradigm or the perception of, of women, not least learning the Icelandic language, which is which is also important. I think, and again, it, it's so, you can't paint all immigrants with, with the same brush. I, I think one of the issues is being aware of, of different people's rights and how we get access to information. So, you know, we have very strong labor unions in, in Iceland, and it's important that people of foreign origin know this. Uh, we have strict laws, obviously, against domestic violence. It's important that people know this. The women of foreign origin are disproportionately represented at the women's shelter, partially because of awareness of laws and stigma, and also partially because they don't have the same social support networks, you know, other family that they can, that they can go to. So it's a big area that I think that, that we need to work on, but it's certainly something I think appealing about the country for people who move there, you know, there's, there's opportunities or one hopes there's opportunities for people of all genders. So you have three sons and a daughter. What, Mm -hmm. what do you think it's like for her? Like, where do you see her future growing up in a society like this? that values women. Well, more. she just told me she wants to move to LA and live on the beach and have a small puppy. Oh. So I don't know where she'll actually. <laughs> okay. She, she's never been to LA, but this is, you know, she's seen pictures of it. I'm here right now. It's really amazing. Okay. I have to say, she yeah. can come hang out with me here for the weekend, you know. <laughs> right. You know, the weather, and I was there last weekend and I'm going to say that I feel like the weather overall is probably better than it is in Iceland. <laughs> you know, hopefully she's just growing up as well, like, like my sons, that she can pursue whatever dreams that, that she wants to pursue and, and have the opportunity to, you know, to, to live life the way that she wants to live it, regardless, regardless of her gender. I mean, obviously we, it, you know, we're very privileged where we are as well. And, you know, not everybody has those opportunities. So I hope as well that we're raising her and just all of our children to help to, you know, not become complacent, to help to elevate people's voices and speak up when they see injustice. And I actually think that that's especially important for my three sons. When we're talking about gender equality, one of the biggest impediments to achieving it is gender-based violence and sexual assault, which occurs obviously in Iceland as well. And the vast majority of the people who are committing those offenses are men. And we need to work a lot so that young men realize that that behavior is not acceptable 
And obviously I'm biased, but I'm pretty sure my, my boys, young men won't be men like that, but I am almost positive that they will encounter the wrong kind of behavior or the wrong kind of dialogue or the, the so-called locker room chat in whatever circles they're in that I won't be witness to. And, and what I try to teach them is that they need to have the courage to speak up and say that that is not okay. And that's really hard to do, I think, when you're young. It's really hard to be the person who stands up and says no, rather than just stands aside and says, this isn't my fault because I'm not doing it, even though you're not actually doing something to combat it. And, uh, and, I, and I work really hard trying to teach them. And I think that that is something important and, and challenging for all of us, you know, that when we stand by, when we see injustice, you know, that's almost as bad. Wow. I love that. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that. You say in the book that every, that there's an expression in, in Iceland that everyone has a book in their belly. Did I get that right? Yeah. You, you, we all walk with a book in our belly. We all have a story to tell. I, I, uh, I love that that is the general um, belief because, you know, I, I believe that about everybody too, as many people do. <laughs> Tell me about that and how it's led you to write this book and how this whole book process was like and, and, mm-hmm. and, and I'll just go from there. Okay. The book writing process. Yeah. I, because I run the Iceland Writers Retreat as well and worked as journalists, people always ask me, what's the book in your belly? Because that's this beautiful phrase that we all have a story. And to be honest, I didn't think I had, like, it wasn't something that I was focused on because I had a lot of other things on my plate. And then when the pandemic hit and everything kind of shifted, you know, we had to cancel the writer's retreat and there weren't as many first lady activities. And, and all of a sudden you just had time to be imagining things. And the idea for the book occurred to me when our former president, who's the world's first female president, she turned 90. And it was just occurring to me that everyone in Iceland knows that Iceland is a leader in gender equality, but people outside don't know. And I thought I could, you know, I could paint a portrait of a country. I could kind of write a love story to my adopted homeland using gender equality as a theme and, and using the stories of all kinds of women. And this word spracker that's in the title means extraordinary woman. So I thought it might be an interesting and hopefully hopeful and inspirational and fun read for people who want to learn about a new country and and read the stories of inspirational women, but also everyday women, you know, not like the first person to do something and a spokesperson for something else. So I had this idea. I went for lots of long walks to think about it. And I was very fortunate you know, I think for anybody out there who who has this idea for the book, and it's very daunting, the process of going from idea to actually publishing a book. And I was, a, I was fortunate, I guess, with two sort of pragmatic things. One was that my younger brother is a writer. And so I called his agent. So I got an agent quickly, <laughs> which, which was helpful because I know that that's a huge hurdle for a lot of times. And because it was a nonfiction book and you can sell nonfiction book proposals without having written the whole book first. It still felt very daunting to have to write sample chapters and full <laughs> outlines. But then to complete the book, I was contractually obligated. And that was really helpful also to have the, the motivation to, to know that it had to go through. But I really enjoyed the whole process of thinking of the idea and who I was going to talk to and speaking with them and writing it and editing it. And, and now I'm in the States promoting it. It's it's just been a really, really fun adventure, but also an emotional roller coaster. Wow. And what does your brother think? <laughs> my 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 brother thinks it's great. He writes he writes novels more now, so it's completely different, different style. But you know, I think he was happy to share his agent. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I love that. Have you found the reception of this book in the US? Like has there been something that surprised you about it, or has it been 
Like, what has that been like? Well, it's just, I'm, I, I just can't express how, how excited and grateful I am because I, you know, never thought that I'd be writing a book. And just the fact that I wrote a book seemed to me so much and everything else is just icing on the cake. Or as we would say in Iceland, the raisin at the end of the hot dog. I don't know why we say that. <laughs> and so, I, you know, I was supposed to go on this book tour in February and then, and then with the pandemic, it went virtual and, and now I've gone here and just, just to meet people who, I mean, I can't believe I read, read a book, uh, wrote a book. I can definitely believe I read a book. So just to meet people who were inspired by it or enjoyed at it or, or laughed out loud when they were reading it, I, I find that, I mean, I'm just so tickled by it all. So the whole thing has been, uh, been really, really exciting. So does that mean you're going to perhaps write something else? I, I would love to. I hope to, I have to have another idea. I hope it doesn't take a <laughs> pandemic to cause me to think of another idea. Well, but it would be great. It's just wonderful. And, and I think, you know, the one thing I've discovered too is it is takes persistence to actually get through it and write the whole book. And I think that, you know, that's actually what stops a lot of people. As you say too, we all have stories in our belly. They're probably all stories that we all want to hear. And a lot of the best stories don't get told, not because, you know, they weren't published or people didn't find the right people, which is obviously challenging, but just because they were never written down. Yeah. So I, you know, persistence is key, I think. I also think some people think their stories have to be so dramatic when sometimes mm-hmm. the most personal and intimate stories are the ones that end up helping other people the most. You don't have exactly. to, you know, have exactly. to, you don't have to climb Everest to, to write a good book about your experience in life. But no, definitely not. You know, getting you know, little things in life can, anyway. Right. The normal is the most relatable, right? Like yes. not very many of us are going to climb Everest. I'm pretty sure I will never climb Everest. And, uh, but there's, there's lots of, there's lots of remarkable in the everyday. Totally agree. Do you have a particular kind of book you like to read or anything you love? I really like nonfiction. I, I like memoir. I like political stories and, and political histories. And I'm really especially into audiobooks for those nowadays. Mm-hmm. And I also love crime, the crime fiction genre. I, I, I kind of, it's like my, I, if I'm, if I'm sick or something, you know, I get into bed with an Agatha Christie and I reread it. And, but I, you know, there's, I also read, I try to, you know, stay up to date on Icelandic fiction, even though I read it in translation, still in English and all kinds of, all kinds of different things. But I'd say those two are my sort of memoir and crime fiction are my two biggest favorites. Amazing. Well, Eliza, thank you. This has been so interesting. I found your book absolutely fascinating and thought provoking and yeah, you're awesome. I loved it. <laughs> thank you, Sippy. It was great. It was so exciting to be on your show, especially after our early connections with the Ice and Rides Retreat. So yeah, so funny. Oh my gosh. It's like yeah. top of my list. So thank you so much for having me. Sorry it took so long. <laughs> no problem. And we'll see you in Iceland sometime then. See you in Iceland. Okay. That'd be great. Thank you, Zippy. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. 
Get 50% off your first card at moonpig.com. Moonpig.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 